episode of Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sony. Your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us. Another new release here on the docket. Um, I watched this one at home. I, I'm pretty sure you did too, right, Sam The Conjuring? Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about that at the end of the episode. It's our joint review, but we have a lot of news to run through. So let's kind of get moving. And uh, first up, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan are going to star in a movie titled She Said. As the two reporters, uh, Megan Twohey and Jody Cantor, who uh, sort of broke the story on the Weinstein expose for the New York Times. Um, the movie being directed by Maria Schrader, who recently did Netflix's Unorthodox series and is being written by Rebecca Lakowitz, who's a Oscar-winning screenwriter produced by Plan B and Annapurna. Really, really good team behind this project. Um, I think it's going to be sort of one of those hard-hitting drama similar i guess even to a bombshell which came out pretty recently the subject matter is obviously pretty similar but i think like the sort of star power or not even star power i guess but more weight of you know carrie mulligan zoe kazan plan b those are like heavy hitters and i think that that's gonna add a lot of sort of pedigree to a project like this what do you think yeah i'm really interested to see how this is gonna turn out because i don't know much about the weinstein story like i know the news broke out and then all of a sudden he was completely canceled and i think he's pretty much like the launching point for i guess you can call it quote-unquote cancel culture yeah the the me too movement and all that you know like you know you mentioned like a bombshell i was like also thinking like spotlight or all the presidents man because this feels like Mm. it's very much like a a journalistic drama what's the word for it yeah, it's a journalistic drama. I don't, I don't know if there's a specific sort of like investigative, I guess. Um, investigative drama, yeah, right. I think is, a, is a word for it. But yeah, I think I don't know much about Maria Schrader because I haven't seen an Orthodox and I don't know much about Re- Rebecca Linkowitz, but, you know, it being a part of Plan B, Plan B being Brad Pitt's production company and the one that, mm-hmm. you know, produced movies like Moonlight, it makes me very excited because they always, you know, have a tendency to, to produce very, you know, well-made, well-shot and hard-hitting movies. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought up Spotlight and all the presidents. I didn't even think about it from that perspective, but that, you know, these journalistic, like, investigative movies like you're talking about are oftentimes really good, especially when they have this sort of weight behind them in terms of the people that are producing it and starring it and directing it. And it seems like this is going to be down that alleyway. And, like, I mean, if you know you know me, Sam, like, I, I, was a, I studied journalism in college and whatnot, so, like, right. those movies really hit home for me. And, like, Spotlight's one of my favorite movies of the past decade. All Presidents Men's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, so I'm glad you brought up that comparison because that seems like more of what this is actually going to be. And Carrie Mulligan has a has making a trend for herself and being a part of very hard-hitting, grounded movies because, you know, her last yeah. three major hits were Promising Young Woman, Wildlife, and Mudbound, and those aren't movies that are really easy to watch at all. Yeah, they're sort of heavier dramas. And even, like, Zoe Kazan, like, she hasn't... I don't know if she's had, like, a project of this caliber. Like, I know she's been in big popular things like The Big Sick, but, like, I feel like she's not a household name at this point, and maybe this could be the project that, like, sort of makes her, you know, an A-lister to that degree, because I feel like she's done some good projects, but I don't know if she's led anything of this caliber, like, alongside a Carrie Mulligan. Like, that's pretty big, I think, for Zoe Kazan as well. Yeah, I think this is a pretty... I think it would be, like, her breakout role in regards to just being a household name. Right. It's interesting to, it's interesting to think about that, and you bring up wildlife, and her and Carrie Mulligan obviously have that working relationship, because she's mm, Paul Dano's yeah. partner, yeah. and I believe she helped write wildlife, if I'm not mistaken, yes. and she was obviously yeah. there. Her and Paul Dano have a very close collaborative, creative relationship, as well as personal relationship, so really cool to see this project breeding, and I'm really... 
excited, I guess, to see what this does become. Um, I'm gonna add it to my list right now because I always forget to add these. Right. Movies when we yeah. Talk about them. Yeah. I think it probably come out like maybe next Oscar season is my guess. So it's still like a year and a half away, but okay. definitely, definitely added to your watch list. Um, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, Donnie Yen and Bill Skarsgård are joining John Wick Four alongside Keanu Reeves and uh, Rina Sawayama, that Japanese pop star that joined the cast. Um, so kind of a growing sort of group around this. My understanding is that. Skarsgård's character is still under wraps, but Donnie Yen is going to be uh, like an accomplice to Keanu Reeves, so maybe similar to Halle oh. Berry's character um, in, in, what's it called, John Wick 3. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of hoping he was going to be like an adversary and see those two go like head-to-head. With, like, I was going to say that Keanu Reeves would get his ass whipped this next round. <laughs> right. It's, it seems like he's going to be more the adversary, like the friend character that helps uh, John Wick. Like John Wick is, you know, obviously getting himself into all this crazy shenanigans and whatnot in all these movies. And like every movie just sort of spirals out of control even more and more. Uh, who would have thought like when the original John Wick came out that we would be at a John Wick 4? Like that's kind of insane to me because the original one, I believe it was like a dumping ground September release date by the Weinstein Company, if I'm not mistaken, actually. And it just sort of got dropped in there. They didn't think it'd be, make any money and it ended up being a box office hit, critical success. And now it's spawned off three sequels on top of it. Um, I'm excited to see Donnie Yen, you know, do more stuff. I don't know, like Donnie Yen, just anytime I see his name attached to something, it really excites me. He's the closest we have to a Bruce Lee on our generation. Right. Because like, like, I'm always thinking about that scene in the first Ip Man movie where he's beating the hell out of those uh, mm. Chinese karate mm. professionals in the beginning. And it's like, you know, he knows how to bring that ferocity into movies. And he's charming too. Like in Rogue One, he's like one of the funniest characters in that movie. Like he, he like you said, like a Bruce Lee, he's got like a little bit of the both, like the stardom aspect of, of it and the sort of action. He can do all the action side of it too. Um, I don't know about Bill Skarsgård. Like, I don't know. He doesn't strike me as the kind of person that can like do the physicality of a John Wick movie. I don't know if you agree with that. Um, Bill Skarsgård, I'm trying to think. is uh, Pennywise. Oh yeah. And he's also... What was he in? All the all the time. He was right, the, yeah, all the yeah, character. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't think so. I'm I'm in the same boat as he. He seems like a very lanky individual. He's yeah, somebody that would you know be as imposing as to a at this point you know as someone as big as a John Wick character. Yeah. Do you think he's gonna be like the villain since we don't really know what his character is gonna be yet? Um, I'm trying to think of how the third one in there. He's a excommunicado. He's he's like you know on the run. Yeah, I think that's um, that's where he is sort of at this point. He's still on the he, run. He he could be like a hacker guy maybe. Okay. Yeah, that, that could fade. It's somebody <laughs> somebody who does like the behind the scenes, maybe not like the frontline action sort of stuff. Like he'd be like a, somebody somebody that helps John Wick the same way as Donnie Yen does. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He could also, I guess, maybe like be alongside Lawrence Fishburne because I think Lawrence Fishburne is coming back for this one, right? Isn't he? So like maybe he could be like. A I need to rewatch him. Yeah, it, Lawrence Fishburne was in the third one. He was in two, the two of them. The first, sec, second, second, and third one. Second yes, and third one. Okay, yeah. okay. So he's coming back for this one as well. I think he confirmed that this week. So a lot and of this, casting. Um, how many more are they gonna do? Is this the last one? Or I think there's two more. So John Wick Five is supposed to be, I guess, the quote unquote last one at this. <laughs> so they're doing a. It's called a pentology. E, yes, I think. <laughs> all I, all I know is that Chad Stahelski is returning to direct this one, and that's I I think that's the biggest sell maybe, for me because I like I said like I, I think I've mentioned it a few times. I think of him and Leech like he's the stronger director like even though he's stuck to one franchise i'm interested to see what leech does with bullet train but like hmm. i'm glad that stahelski stuck through this thing from beginning to end so. and you're you're a fan of john wick is you know is there, i love john wick especially okay. especially like it got 
I, I think two is my favorite still. And I've heard people say two is their least favorite, but I like how it sort of expands the world of the assassins and whatnot. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I'll, I eat this stuff up. I love it so much. Who was the, who was the basketball player that was in the third one? Boban. Boban. Boban was the, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a, <laughs> like, a like a seven four giant. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love that part. But uh, really excited for John Wick 4. I think that's May 2022. So a little less than a year away from that. Uh, Harry Melling, best known probably for playing Dudley in the Harry Potter movies. Kind of a breakout, I think, a little bit now. You mentioned Devil All the Time, Queen's Gambit. Uh, he was the villain in The Old Guard. Sort of, I guess, a favorite over at Netflix because he's joining uh, another Netflix project, Scott Cooper in Christian Bale's The Pale Blue Eye. My understanding is that this is a project set in like the 1800s. And what's interesting about it is that Harry Melling is playing Edgar Allan Poe, the famous author. And I guess this is sort of based off a true story of how Edgar Allan Poe helped a detective who I believe is Christian Bale's character solve a murder or a mystery of some type. I don't know. This just sounds hmm. like a really cool sort of historical drama that's going to tie in a lot of real history that we're not really aware of into it. What, what's your sort of like, it's interesting to see also the Harry Melling, like after being Dudley has kind of now become like Netflix's it boy in a way he's like in every Netflix project that's coming out. What, what do you think of this? Well, I mean, I had no idea that Christian Bale was playing a detective in the Netflix from Scott Cooper. So yeah. it's, it's, that's, that's funny to see, but Harry Melling, it, like I mentioned that he wasn't really that great. I didn't like him that much in the old guard. I didn't like him that much in the all the time, but he did a really good job in the Queens gambit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look up pictures of Edgar Allan Poe and Harry Melling, compare them together, they look very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, he has that very Gothic appeal to him. <laughs> he, he's kind of pale. He has, he has a distinct he has, look. He has a very yeah, he distinct has, look. He has dark hair. His his eyes are small. So you think he he'll fit the role very well. I'm really interested to see how he pairs off he pairs himself off with Christian Bale. Yeah, here I'll read the plot synopsis. Uh, stars Christian Bale is a veteran detective tasked with solving a series of murders that took place in 1830 at U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Bale's detective partner Bale's detective partners with detail-oriented young cadet played by Melling, who will later become the world's most famous author. Uh, that the world knows today. So it really sounds like a cool project. Did you see um, Out of the Furnace? No, I have not. Okay, that was Bale and Cooper's previous team up. It's a really dark movie, but I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I think it's worth checking out, but like, I don't know. Scott Cooper, I think, is a really talented director. I don't know if he's gotten like the credit that he deserves quite yet, because I like a lot of his projects, but I think people see them as sort of like dad movies in a way like black mass and out of the furnace and a crazy heart and whatnot but i think he's a really really good director and this could maybe be like one of those ones because a little bit different a little bit breaking the mold for him going back in time maybe this is the one that people attach themselves to more oh what was the other one that he did with um christian bale the one that came out a couple years ago with the uh native americans um oh hostels hostels yes that one i love that one as well so yeah i mean I'm gonna pair off. I'm, 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 I'm gonna jump off by saying, um, you know, there's not much in, in regards to Edgar Allan Poe in pop culture. I think the most recent movie that was about him was The Raven in 2012, and I don't think that movie was received very well. So, I mean, if you know the story of Edgar Allan Poe, it's just super depressing. So, I'm really curious to see how Scott Cooper um, combines, you know, his backstory and his, I guess, persona and his like uh, the perception of him in pop culture into this movie. That's when I'm really curious to see how he does. Yeah, the like the fact that you bring up depressing, I think that makes it more fitting for Scott Cooper to direct it because his movies are so dark and dour and stuff like that so like Mm. maybe he's the right director to helm a project like this i don't know if it's based off a book or just a true story or whatnot but uh definitely going to keep an eye closer eye on this one now that i sort of know 
what the story is. I just knew there was Scott Cooper and Christian Bale reteaming for a project. I had no idea what it was before hearing the story. So pretty interesting stuff there. Um, and, and just as interesting, I think, as some news that broke earlier today, uh, there is a Lord of the Rings uh, anime series being developed. It's not actually by Amazon. It's being developed by Warner Brothers Animation. So like we have the Amazon series that is coming out, but Warner Brothers Animation, Warner Brothers, obviously the studio that made the trilogy that won all the Oscars and whatnot is now developing an anime, not series, sorry, movie, an anime movie that is going to tie in to the original story. It's actually going to be a prequel. Sorry, I'm like, when it comes to Lord of the Rings, I cannot keep up with the lore of all that stuff. So like it all kind of throws me off. So I I wrote down the plot synopsis from the Deadline article. The War of Rohirrim focuses on a character from the book's appendix, the mighty king of Rohan, that part I know, Helm Hammerhand and a legendary battle which helped shape Middle-earth heading into Lord of the Rings. So it's a prequel tale it's an anime series, or sorry, anime movie, not series, movie set in the Lord of the Rings universe. What What is this, like, what do you even take away from this? Uh, this is, I'm curious as to why they're calling it an anime. Is it is like anime art-centric? Yeah, it's like, it's like anime, it like a... anime inspired, and the director is actually a Japanese director who I think has done some, like, anime projects for Netflix, some American-style anime projects for Netflix. Well, yeah, I'm super curious because, like, you know, the the realm that they're in is the king of rohan rohan being the like the era of or the realm of horse lords is the thing the name of the warriors of, mm. of their of that space like that's the one with the uh, keith urban who was wearing like a blonde wig and right. like the bleached hair and all that okay. um yeah this is really really interesting they're really leaning into like the lord of the rings franchise you said it was amazon and warner brothers yeah um yeah i it's hard to say well i'll say this the fact that it, it is a movie um is going to make me think that it's going to be like a high budget um you know well like you know like, like a lot of frames between the key frames right right because you know they can they can lean into uh creating a much more condensed story because it's just the movie then they can just like you know condense the budget into just that movie sure so i'm curious to see how you know an american company is gonna lean into the anime aesthetic right combine it with a fantasy that's you know known as like a I guess like one of the greatest fantasy stories ever made. Yeah. It's a lot of elements coming together. There is a lot of elements coming together and you bring up like an American company like Warner Brothers Animation doing this. And I don't think Warner has dipped their toe into producing anime the way that Netflix has. And obviously like Sony owns Crunchyroll and Funimation now. So like that's a whole separate sector of the anime industry. But like obviously Warner Brothers owns Cartoon Network, which was sort of the house for anime for us, at least growing up. Like that's where I think both you and I probably saw our first anime was like watching something on Toonami or whatever yeah. back in the day. So they've obviously got some familiarity with it. And I guess Samurai Jack maybe would be the closest to an anime thing developed by Warner as a whole, Warner Brothers Animation, because that was produced by Cartoon Network, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, they have familiarity with it, but it's, like, their first sort of deep dive into it. And I guess, like, you know, you're talking about the use of keyframes and and the budget and all that stuff. My assumption is maybe they have a big story they want to tell, and doing it in live action would be ridiculously expensive. And they can put that scale and scope into an animation-style project and give it to us in a just as interesting or more refreshing way because it is not live action is an anime it's an animated version of it so like kind of a new spin on the story and the guy who's directing it kenji kamamiya he actually did um standalone complex ghost in the shell and he did the blade runner black lotus uh anime series spot whatever that thing was as well Hmm. so like he's done like some high profile stuff well i'm glad you mentioned those two because those are very cyberpunk heavy Mm. 
you know, properties. And this is, you know, this is a fantasy genre. Yeah. yeah, Ideal. Well, I know the writers, they did the Dark Crystal, which is a fantasy series on Netflix. I believe that was live action, if I'm not mistaken. Or I don't know if that was it. No, I think it was like puppets. puppets. Yeah, Yeah. puppets. That's right. That's right. It was puppets. So like the, I guess the writers are more the fantasy based, but like, I don't, I mean, they can't really bring cyberpunk elements into Lord of the Rings. It wouldn't make any sense, like tonally at least. So like, what what do you expect this guy from like, Stalin complex and whatnot, maybe like that style. What what do you expect him to bring to this movie? A lot, a lot of violence, a lot of action, a lot of you know, fast paced um, sequences in regards to like battle sequences because you know standalone complex is based around like uh, I think the show that you recently just watched, Psychopaths. You're going to review in a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like you know, it centers around like these uh like these AI robots that are like also police officers. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how he's going to combine his sensibilities of being like a sci-fi centric anime director into a fantasy genre um, i'm just really curious to see also how um warner brothers and amazon is going to flush out this story because you mentioned that this is a mm-hmm. based on an appendix of a, right. char- a character in an appendix like not even an actual story within like a mm-hmm. the cimmerillion or the actual lord of the rings books right it's like in the lore but it's not like fleshed out story wise right, right. that's uh, like who J.R.R. Tolkien writing his story back in the 1800s or whatever ni- early 1900s and thinking that yeah one day Japanese style animation <laughs> is gonna take this project forward like uh, yeah it's really interesting uh, I- I'm it excited could be like a like a uh, what Tart- Tartakovsky did with the uh, the Star Wars uh, right lore. right and he he did Samurai Jack too right he was yes. the guy who did, okay so like hey. They're taking some influence maybe from that guy who's been involved there and, and like who's done stuff like this before. Um, I agree with that. That's that's an interesting call. But are you excited? I guess. The, yes, the I am. I'm looking forward to this. I'm okay. really very interested in this. I hope it's like I hope it's like all out. Like I hope they don't really like you know skimp on it at all. Like especially like well, you want like to want it to have like the same um, eccentricities as anime, like the horny stuff and like no the, no, no, no not to that point. Big, like big the, titted hero. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I want like I want like the violence. I want like the scale. I want the scope. I want the violence. That part of it, I really, really. I think. want the Sakuga. I want the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the high end. Right, right, yeah, like those incredible see the sword fighting and all that. Like yes. you could do some really yeah. special stuff with yeah. that. I hope that's what we get out of this project. Um, let's rapid fire a couple things before we get into trailers. Uh, Cruella Two is in development. Um, you saw that. I didn't. And then Issa Rae is joining Spider Man to the Spider Verse. I'll let you touch on both these because I don't really have familiarity with Issa Rae because I haven't seen Insecure and i haven't seen cruella yet so so well cruella too i think they're just going to lean into what made her become like the actual cruella character because at the very end she does become cruella she abandoned her you know much more grounded character that she is like she in the movie she has two personalities one of them being cruella and she becomes like she leans into the cruella character much more at the end of the movie so i'm guessing this one's going to touch more on like the actual um i guess skinning dogs aspect of her character i don't know where else it would go Mm-hmm. In, in regards to that but um i'm glad i'm really glad that Issa Rae is getting recognition because i've been saying this for like the longest time that insecure is one of the best written tv shows and one of the best directed tv shows you know currently airing right now on hbo so i'm, I'm she's not really in the capacity of like a behind the scenes she's actually a voice actor in this one right but you know i'm glad that we're actually getting some news for the spider-verse sequel right and like i mean if you look at the voice cast for the original it's huge right like i mean like you're like chris pine in there Haley steinfeld was in there uh nicholas cage right was in there like oh, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of big name stars and it looks like they're sort of going in that trend with this one and who knows like Issa Rae, yeah maybe she's not like a 
writer on this project, but maybe she has some sort of like voice behind the scenes because she's, she's, I think, pretty respected in Hollywood because Insecure is a pretty critically acclaimed series. So yeah. like maybe she can bring that element of her career. Well, Lord and Miller are both, you know, coming back as writers and producers for this mm -hmm. one. So we'll still have the same consistency as the first one. And uh, Joaquin Dos Santos is directing it, who obviously did a lot of the third season of Avatar. So really good animation director behind this thing. Really good team behind this thing. I can't wait for Spider-Verse 2 to come out. Uh, let's jump into trailers real quick. We got trailers for The Medium, Reminiscence, which is Lisa Joy, who is Jonathan Nolan's wife, also the co-writer, creator of Westworld, um, her sci-fi project starring Hugh Jackman for HBO Max and Space Jam. We released another trailer for that. Sam, I'm going to take the reins here. Yeah, I want to talk ahead. about The Medium. Yeah, go. Because this is, <laughs> uh, I mean, Sam introduced me to The Wailing like about a year ago maybe just maybe just under a year ago now at this point and i became obsessed with the director na hong jin and i was just sort of shocked by the fact that he had only done three movies but i did dig into his three movies that he directed and now this is his next project but he's producing this um but what it is is interesting because he's obviously a korean filmmaker this is a thai movie thai language movie with a thai director who's done a lot of horror movies in thailand before but he's you know, he's producing this as a Korean producer and it's being distributed pretty heavily in Korea as well. But it's a Thai film. It's about shamanism, um, sort of playing into, I guess, a little bit of what he did with in The Wailing, um, maybe exploring it to deeper lengths. But I thought this trailer was an absolute knockout. I, I mean, just having Na Hong Jin's name attached to something at this point is really exciting. I don't care in what capacity it is, mm -hmm. but like this seems like the sort of thing that I wanted out of the next project that he was going to give us after The Wailing. It just looks really intense. It looks brutal. It looks interesting. Um, it looks creepy. It's exploring a different part of horror because it's like, you know, set in this poverty ridden jungle type area in Thailand that a lot of people rely on religion. And it looks like it's going to have to do with exorcisms and all that sort of stuff. Um, looks like mockumentary style, maybe, or documentary style, like not properly shot, like a little bit of handheld footage and all that. I'm, if I wasn't already sold just by his name being attached to this project, I'm 110% sold after seeing the trailer. Hey, you can pretty much copy and paste what you just said for my sentiments to this trailer because I thought it was a documentary at first when it right, when yeah, started. Yeah. Then it started getting really much more you know, intense and much more drama heavy. Mm. You know, This is like one of the first trailers I've seen in a long time that's actually creeped me out. That, like this, this that feels, ending shot, that last yes, shot. Yes, oh, it's so good. Yes. <laughs> it's so like, good. All of it, like the, when it starts to ramp up and it starts to get much more like high paced and like, you know, see the people like spewing blood on the walls and people mm. like just staring at each other like in the dark corners of the, of the rooms that they're in. Mm. like this movie looks insanely creepy scary and i'm just really hoping that we get like the mood the movie that they presented in the trailer yeah i'll talk a little bit actually about this director's projects i watched something this week to sort of catch up a little bit but i know it's getting released in july in korea and thailand so i hope we get it here this summer by latest maybe halloweenish time i don't i don't think it has u.s distribution yet maybe shutter or somebody will pick it up mm. but um I'm interested to see it. Definitely check out the trailer for the medium. Did you watch any of the other trailers, Reminiscence or Space Jam? Yeah, I just saw both of them before we came on. Okay. Did you like any anything you saw? <laughs> <laughs> well, Reminiscence looks interesting to me because it feels like a bit of inception because it focuses on this guy who has this technology to go in the mind, but who also has a tragic past with his lover, wife, girlfriend, I guess, played yeah. Rebecca Ferguson. Right. And I'm glad that Hugh Jackman's playing, you know, something that's not really like a music music centric <laughs> or something that's lighthearted and something that, you know, we've been seeing him go pretty frequently since. Actually, no, he what he did the um what the movie on HBO with um Alice and Janie. 
Uh oh, bad education. Bad education. So yeah, uh, I mean, he's he's a really talented guy, and I was talking about like uh, if he would come in a knives out announcement, but I guess he's that's right. Now. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks interesting, but it kind of feels like it could have the same appeal as a movie like a uh, the Johnny Depp movie Transcendence. I yeah, I got a little bit of that vibe too. Or like a predestination with uh, Ethan Hawke. Right. It it looks like it could be hit or miss. Like yes, it could be yeah. one completely one way or completely the other. And I like Lisa Joy. I think she's incredibly talented. She's, I mean, she's a really, really strong creative force in Westworld. Um, and she, I think, has maybe even more of a voice in that show than Jonathan Nolan does. So, like, that gives me a little bit of faith because I'm, I'm still a fan of Westworld and a lot of people aren't. But, like, it does seem a little bit, like, too high concept maybe for yeah. it to be, like, mass appeal. And that, you know, a lot of times that stuff goes over a lot of people's head and they just aren't quite interested with it. So I have that fear from it. But I think the trailer was interesting enough to, you know, get me intrigued in the project. I feel like, like they showed a lot, though. They did show a lot. They showed almost the entire plot. It was a three-minute trailer. Yeah, they showed almost the entire plot of the movie. So, so like... I guess I'm interested, but it's cautious optimism, I guess, going into it. Because yeah. I, I want Lisa Joy to be successful outside of the Westworld sphere. I think she's really talented, but like, I don't know if she's quite had that pedigree yet. Um, and I don't have much to say about Space I mean, you're thinking the it's all the same. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll review it in like <laughs> less than a month. So, so we'll talk about it then. Let's get into reviews. We'll get into Conjuring at the end. Sam, what else did you watch this week? I only saw, well, I saw the Conjuring, obviously, and I saw a couple of anime, a couple of manga. I don't know if you want me to talk about those now, but the big thing I saw this week was, you know, Bo Burnham's special on Netflix called Inside, where he took a year and just sat in this room and created his own movie i guess he produced it he wrote it he was acting in it he was directing it he was shooting it by himself in this very small like shed like i guess like a garage or something but you know it's so deceptively simple because you feel like you could do this yourself but bo burnham is probably like one of the most creative comedians working right now because not only is it funny it's also insanely depressing because it feels it's, it's insanely personal he's talking about like the covid pandemic he like he lets his hair grow out you see him grow his beard out you see like the the like his, he's like he's like, like like he's not sleeping much and he's very stressed about creating this special and you know uh I could watch this over and over. I gave it five stars on Letterboxd. I don't know how much else wow. I can say about it. Okay. Um, so you said it was like over quarantine. So like it is like oh, spans like the entire quarantine. It's not just like in one sitting. Yeah. It's like one year long in this room. That's all it is. And then he just creates like, these skits, like these some some songs. He okay. jokes around sometimes, but you could see it in his face that it's not only about comedy to him. It's about him just, you know, talking about the, like the the condition of the world and the condition of the other, our society is living in right now and him calling out the hypocrisy of like certain people and you know it doesn't feel like it's preaching at you it's also funny it's also very i mean it's like you can see all the stuff he's working with he has his, his keyboard his laptop his cameras his lights um and he does it very well like it doesn't feel like it's like a insanely high production but to right. think of like you know him trying to edit this by himself and you know him trying to think of ideas for it all by himself like he has nobody helping him right now it's all him and it's like it's insanely well done when you say it's all him like and you say he's got that much of a hand on it. Like somebody like me, who's maybe like not the biggest Bo Burnham fan, mm -hmm. like 
is it even worth for me to check out like dude or... everyone i've seen on like social media has been raving about this like okay. no one has been trashing it at all so okay because yeah I, I mean like i like bo burnham i liked eighth grade but i wasn't like crazy about it the way everybody else was like really i think, I think his comedy is funny but i don't know like it doesn't quite hit the same way for me that it th- i feel like a lot of other people are attached to him mm-hmm. so like that's why i was kind of trepidatious to check this one out because i didn't want to be like the one negative person on, on on it i'd say check it out okay how long is it it's like an hour and 20 something minutes okay it's 40 also, minutes it's cool to hear you say that like he had that much of a handle like he did it's everything the editing. literally everything that's all him yeah that's pretty cool to see and it's netflix distributed like so like what do we do we know what he's directing next because i don't know if we've had an announcement of what he's got in the world well he either. took a so he took he talked about this on like the actual special like he was doing like his stand-up specials and he stopped for like five years he worked on eighth grade he was in promising young woman right. and he talked about the fact that the reason he stopped doing like the stand-up specials was because he was having like these insanely bad panic attacks on stage and people right. were laughing and thinking it was a joke but he was like actually going through these very bad mental health episodes and you could see it in his face like he's not really like acting at all he's like you know really showing his true self on screen when he's creating the special right and i remember him talking about that when eighth grade was coming out about like anxiety and, and all that stuff and how he tied his true life experiences into eighth grade and that's why that movie like again i'm maybe not the biggest I fan term, I, yeah. i'm not the biggest fan term of the comedy of it but like those aspects of it that make you feel uncomfortable and whatnot like he hit those scenes out of the park i can't deny that part of it so mm-hmm. um i can see him bringing that sort of humanity to something like this that is so personal to him and like like the fact that it's also like chronicled over a span of time not just in one sitting that that also stands out to me so. and the like you know all of his songs people were like saying i hope he like creates an album or something right right like, heard everyone, about this, people yeah. were like a uh, like clamoring for it and now he like recently put it out on spotify so okay it's like the songs in in this thing right like, yes yeah like he sings them in like, like he the... masters them he sings them he writes the lyrics for them he what? makes i guess like look these very tiny music videos right, right he's very inventive he's i don't know he's very he's, creative he's talented talented and there's no denying that uh do you know what his next acting role is uh, no, i didn't look it he's up play, right? he's playing larry bird in that Lakers showtime oh, series yeah i remember you talking to me about this that's like i don't know i'm really interested to see what he does with that because he's a real renaissance man he really he's interesting i really like i i think he's really talented and maybe, although his stuff doesn't hit it like hit me the same way that it hits a lot of people i can't deny the fact that the man is he writes, directs, acts, sings, yeah. writes music. Yeah. Like I'm really interested to see what he does with Larry Bird because like that that would have been like the last thing that came to my mind for well, he's a tall, lanky blonde dude. Right, yeah. You just stick a, you stick a mustache on him <laughs> and he could definitely be Larry Bird from the eighties. Yeah. Uh but I'm glad I, to hear I, you I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how you if you if you were a watch, I'm really curious to your thoughts on this. Yeah, I don't watch a whole lot of stand up specials, so I'll have to make like time for it, but may, I, I might get around to it just because I, I like I want to watch saying. it again. I like what you're saying. I've heard people say that they've rewatched it multiple times already yeah. too so testament to what it is um i'll quickly run through some reviews here i watched the original shutter so i know a lot of people have seen the american remake but the original thai version was directed by the guy who's making the medium so i wanted to check out one of his movies before going to the medium um and i think this guy is really really good horror director the movie is sort of dated a little bit it's 2004 made in thailand produced in thailand so like obviously a little limited budget so you kind of feel that now in 17 years later but I, I can see how in 2004 this was like a take the world by storm type of horror movie um and i think there are definitely some really really good scares in this so that just made me more excited for what this guy is going to do with the medium alongside Nahongjin. so you know just a testament to that i watched harakiri death of a samurai so you watched harakiri the original version yes. from the 60s or the 50s yes i watched takashi Miike's remake from 2011 um 
And I think this is Takashi Mika's best movie that I've seen. Jesus. This is a really, really good movie. I believe it's the same story. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but it's about, you know, somebody who goes to fake their death. And it's like a sort of twisting, winding tale of somebody who goes to fake their death. Um, and then they are made to kill themselves on the spot. But the story sort of unravels from there as to how this person is tied to other people outside of these people that made him kill himself, basically. Yes. I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Yeah. yeah but interesting it's just it's not it's not a traditional takashi making movie in that it's very quiet very subdued very contemplative very sort of introverted in the way that it's more a study of this this main character not the guy who kills himself but the other character who the movie focuses on the story the older man um and it's just really interesting to see Takashi Mika do a bit of a character study and do something quieter. And then he does give you a little bit of the action at the end. And that when that action scene hits, like in those last 15 minutes, when the samurai fight is about to hit, like, you're just like, oh, yes, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. Like, it's patient and it builds up to that moment that that reward for that action is really, really satisfying. I, I obviously haven't seen the original. I have a tough time seeing how the original could be better than this one because I think this is, I, I it's close. Audition, I think, is really, really great. And I still have to check out some of his other stuff, like Ichi the Killer. But this this, this is pretty firmly, I think, my favorite Takashi Miike movie. And maybe one of my favorite, one of my favorite recent live action Japanese movies. That's insane because, you know, you mentioned audition and he mentioned Ichi the killer but he also directed 13 assassins which is like one of my favorite action movies right, ever made right and he does you know an incredible job of you know making these very tense and very high high energy sequences in these movies um, so i'm curious to see how he does with a much more subtle you know right. contemplative and character focused movie right and the fact that i've seen the original one i like you know i think the original one's a masterpiece and i think it's like a top 20 top 30 on the imdb top 250 wow so so you know that you know that reputation for the original one going into the second one is kind of makes me nervous but you know it being takashi mika and you raving about it just as you have because this movie is on my watch list i just haven't had time to watch it but um okay i'm curious to see how it pairs off with the original yeah i'm interested to see your opinion on it because you've seen the original so like see how it compares to the original and obviously i mean that one was made 60 years before this one was made so like there's gonna have that time difference in terms of like and you know we heard your thoughts on like seven samurai and all that stuff and we've heard your thoughts like comparing that a little bit to 13 assassins as well now that you've seen both of them so yeah, I'm, I'm just interested yeah. to see like how all this stuff weaves together for you I, i'm really interested to see that but uh yeah i love this movie um i started psychopaths like you mentioned i haven't finished it yet i'm i'm, okay. I'm pretty early but i just wanted to mention it because i know you've been telling me to watch it for a while and early on like the first episode especially it gave me exactly what i wanted it was sort of a you know it, it was a futuristic neo-noir detective story it spirals a little bit farther than I was expecting it to into like the futuristic, like sci-fi part of it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in the storyline with the avatars right now, like okay. that game sphere thing. And like when it leaves that game, I really like it, but the stuff that happens in that game, I don't like it as much. So, so far I'm definitely on board with the series. I just hope it leans a little bit more and it looks like it's starting to now, like into that darker sort of, gritty detective stuff right now you're peeling back the layers as to what's going on in the show because that's like yeah. really early on in the series right it's like episode six or something yes so yeah yeah so i hope i'm i'm definitely sold on like that first episode was enough to sell me on this series i'm just hoping it gets more to that track record as opposed to where it is right now have you met or have more interaction time with the main antagonist no i've only seen him once shogo okay so so once he's once you see him more is when the series really starts to pick up okay and that's that's definitely what i'm looking forward to so i'll talk about it more i just wanted to mention it 
and then I started Parts Unknown, the Anthony Bourdain series mm. on uh, the CNN. It was on HBO. It's on HBO now, the entire thing. But the reason I started it is because the Bourdain documentary is coming out soon, um, and I really want to check out that. But I want to have a little bit more sort of familiarity with Bourdain before going into it. And I'm actually seeing Roadrunner, the Bourdain doc, this weekend through Tribeca Film Festival. They have like oh wow, online, they have an online screening of it. So I'm I, I got a ticket to that. So I started catching up a little bit on Parts Unknown. I think the series is brilliant. I, I I knew Bourdain like through like the clips and stuff that I had seen of him, but I had never sat down and watched the series. And I was really surprised to see like how the series, I, I was expecting it to be a food show. And it's so yes. much more than that. It's yeah. an insight into culture and community and people and, and food on top of that. So like, it's just incredibly beautiful. And I can see why people had such a close attachment to Bourdain and just gone too soon. But like, I'm building myself up for this like really emotional catharsis, I think for that documentary. Cause now seeing like the person that he is in this series, I can't wait to see the sort of behind the scenes of all that in Roadrunner. Yeah. Like recently when he passed away, like I, did, I had no, you know, background with him. I, I didn't watch the show. I didn't really realize what kind of a person he was, but I saw the impact he had on pop culture. So it was on Netflix for a bit and I saw the majority of it, but it was taken off and it was like, I wasn't streaming anywhere. So I didn't get a chance to finish it. But, yeah. you know, I think the best quote I saw from this when he was in his passing was um, parts unknown wasn't really a show about food. It was more about, humanity and the yeah. best way to get into what cultures are and what what kind of these people are it was through the food that they ate yeah anthony bourdain is a really special person and i i really see like why his death hit people so hard now um having a little bit of this insight and i don't know like i feel like that doc is just gonna have me yeah complete yeah. emotional wreck yeah. and I, i'll let you know i don't know if you're sam if you're gonna try to see it through tribeca this weekend but if not send I think me the hitting, link yeah i'll send you the ticket link i just bought it yesterday but um i believe it hits theaters within the next month. So it'll be out pretty soon in theaters. So if you don't catch it through Tribeca, definitely check out Roadrunner when it comes out and maybe we'll review it next week. Uh, but I'm loving Parts Unknown. I think it's incredible. Let's, yeah. let's get into The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. Third entry in the series, uh, James Wan gave the reins up in this project. Lorraine and Ed Warren are still the front running character. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga reprising their role. James Wan is no longer behind the camera. He's producing. But Michael Chavez, Chaves, I really don't know how to pronounce his name. And I, <laughs> I looked it up. I watched other interviews and everybody pronounces his last name different. So I don't know how to actually pronounce his last name. But um, he directed The Curse of La Llorona, a critically panned movie so a lot of hesitation coming into this one especially considering how acclaimed the first two conjuring movies are sam what what did this one do for you well i'll say real quick this wasn't really the courtroom that we were expecting because there's only like two courtroom scenes in right. this entire movie so right. we get like the introduction to the movie it's the same i guess you know consistency with like the the, the, the high intensity like, like like the feel like it feels, it feels like the, the beginning of this movie is where the last two movies ended right so kind of giving us like the i guess i don't know that, that bridge between the movies but other than that I, I think this is movie is a steep drop off from the from the last because i felt no intensity mm. i didn't feel really the scares weren't really there um the focus of it being like this uh very tongue-in-cheek battle between good and evil wasn't really something that I, I, I attached myself to, like it being, you know, um, these, I, I, what would you call them? Ghost hunters? Lorraine and Ed Warren? Uh, yeah, hunters? they call themselves paranormal investigators, I believe. So, well, they're both, they're both that's very religious. Way, that's really, literally a fancy way to say ghost hunters is paranormal investigators. I mean, they're both like these, you know, they're religious individuals and they're facing off against uh, Satanists. Like a ma they, call, they call themselves a master Satanist mm -hmm. at some point in the movie. Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels very 
I guess uh childish is the, not the word i'm looking for but the closest one i can think of right now mm-hmm. um it, it didn't really yeah do i didn't do much for me yeah i i agree with you I, and i think it is the director switch if i'm being completely honest i liked a lot of what um i'm just gonna call him michael because i don't know how to pronounce his last name <laughs> I, I liked what he was trying to do you could see a lot of the inspiration obviously the movie opens with the the priest getting out of the taxi in front of the house a la yeah, the exorcist yeah, yeah um and he framed that scene to look like the exorcist um no spoilers but there's a scene there's a scene with patrick wilson towards the end where he has a hammer type thing in his hand and it's very much inspired looks like the shining mm-hmm. um there's a lot of clear inspiration on this movie and i i really respect this director because he's a great horror fan and you can see that inspiration bleeding into this work i just don't know if he's a talented enough filmmaker to helm a project like this and, and yeah it's like so much of like what works about the conjuring and the conjuring 2 is this sort of humanistic relationship aspect of Ed and Lorraine Warren and like one of the best moments in the series is Conjuring 2 when Patrick Wilson sits down and sings Elvis on the guitar mm, and it's not a horror yeah. moment it's a human moment and that's what a lot of this movie was lacking it didn't really have human moments and those moments where it tried to extend into humanity with the relationship between um Arnie Johnson I believe is the killer's name and like you know his family and his girlfriend and then also like Ed and Lorraine's relationship like I don't know it just felt like it missed the mark it didn't have that emotional punch to it and yeah the scares were just not there in this Mm -hmm. one like you know I think back to the first Conjuring and like some of those sequences just in that contained house are incredibly tense like the clapping sequence and all that like so much good stuff and this one you know I I give a lot of credit to this movie because it tries to break the mold of the first two Conjuring movies it does something completely different it's a completely different movie and I have to respect it for that but it didn't stick the landing and I feel like if you're trying to break the mold let James Wan do that let James Wan break the mold don't bring in somebody else to completely reinvent this thing and I feel like there's just all those pieces coming different writers on this one as well the Hayes brothers didn't do this one I believe they did the first two so just not quite there on this one I was really disappointed if and it was really long too I think I was kind of waiting for it to end no it wasn't it was an hour 50 really it was an hour 50 yeah it's like two and a half hours it long felt long I agree with you I agree with you and it's like it tries to do these twists and turns and I was just like I don't care about this I really yeah. didn't care about the twists and turns that it t- and I like the introduction like there's pieces like I'm saying like there's pieces of it that I liked it just didn't come together for me like I like the introduction of the occult aspect of it like it's new it's fresh it's something different for the Conjuring franchise but like they didn't do enough to give it the time and the weight for me to care about what how like the characters tied to it and whatnot and, and poor um what's his name the, the little kid from haunting of hill house who played oh, the first yeah. possessed kid who like is like in two scenes in the entire movie i thought he's gonna have a bigger role in this thing but he's like he barely shows up I, I i was hoping to see him more but yeah i think a bit of a letdown if we're being completely honest and this is the last we're seeing of both <clears throat> Was it Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga as Ed and Lorraine Warren? There hasn't been an announcement of a new one yet, so my guess would be yes. But yeah, because have... where else would they take the story? Maybe like the well, retirement. Ed, Ed and Lorraine were doing this stuff into the two thousand, so they have plenty of cases. Um, have they passed? Uh, Lorraine just passed last year, and Ed, okay. I believe, passed in 2000 mid 2000s he, he passed a little while ago but not so long that it was like they still have enough there's like enough story because i think this is in the 80s like 82 or something so there's still stories between this one and when ed passed if i'm not mistaken i could be completely wrong but lorraine just passed away this year she was on like the press tour for conjuring one and two and all that stuff well she had her she, she turned her house into a museum 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. She, like the they, little room that they always play where put all those cursed objects in. It's like a right, real place. Yeah. Just... Yeah. If you like their stories, they have a book the two of them wrote. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but if you look up, they wrote a book about their investigations and whatnot. I would definitely check that out. I read pieces of it in college. I remember um, after the first Conjuring came out. It's cool. I, I like Ed and Lorraine Warren. I think they're really interesting people and I think they're yeah. incredible stories to tell. And I just wish this one had been executed a bit better because it is one of the most like infamous, I think, stories in their history because yeah, they were supporting this guy who murdered somebody. So like, you know, that that side of it is also like, they could have explored that side of it a little bit more as to like these famous people who have helped a lot of people are now supporting this person who killed people, like somebody like what, you know, what's the societal impact of that? Like there's so much to explore. They didn't quite do it. Yeah. I feel like there's a good documentary in here somewhere. And I think mm. we should just stop with, you know, the spinoffs and right. you know, the subpar adaptation of the stories and just, you know, focus more on like the actual lives that they lived. Cause yeah. at this point we, I think they've told us as much as they could. Right. In regards to the universe and just give us like, the actual story about these two people and like make it like as, as grounded as they seem in the movies. I like the, the idea of a documentary of this kind of story. Cause yeah, I feel like there's a lot more that could have been dug into and you don't need to worry about like, cause they actually, they were on like talk shows. Yeah. They like all the stuff that you see in those movies where they're doing talks at colleges and on TV and all that stuff. Like that's all real. Cause Ed and Lorraine are real people. And these, these stories conjuring one, two, and three are all based off of true cases that the Warrens dug into so like it's all based off real life like you know again like play into it however much you believe in ghosts and all that sort of stuff but like this is based off of history so like that part of it I, I feel like they're just you know because it's based off of history I feel like there would have been more meat there to give us something a little bit more substantial and this probably didn't give us yeah I'm just kind of sad I think I, yeah I'm agreeing with you at this point I think I don't think Michael Chavez has what it takes to be a great uh, horror director right it's, it sucks it sucks because like he's a really nice guy too if you watch his interviews and stuff like that he seems like a really nice dude but like did that these two maybe he needs to work his way up because he went from like directing a short film to getting a warner brothers new line horror movie in la llorona like he didn't do anything in between so like have you seen the short film uh yeah and it's solid it's fine uh, but like like there's potential there but right but like even like david sandberg like he did lights out the short and then he did lights out the feature and then he did a dc movie so like lights out the feature film was still his original idea it wasn't based off like franchise and, and i saw that short. it was a good short it was a good short and i think the feature is pretty good too um so like maybe this guy needs to go back a step and do something a little bit more intimate and smaller and then come back into the space and try to do something a bit bigger because the conjuring is the biggest horror franchise on the planet so there's no denying that but uh yeah, I guess that'll bring us to a close for this review and this episode. Thanks for joining us, Sam. Let people know where they can find you online. Find me on Twitter at Sam Zero So and on Instagram at Sam Osorio, O-S-O-R-I-O. Find me at Rodsaw236. As always, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast show with your friends and family. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and all the other popular platforms. We'll be back next week to review In the Heights. Come back and join us for